Jay's Four Questions is brought to you by the Jewish Federation of Greater Los Angeles. Through its impactful work and partnerships, the Federation touches every Jewish life in Los Angeles, Israel, and around the world. For more information, visit www.jewishla.org. My guest this week has had a profound influence on my cooking and how I think about food. Lior Lev Zerkaz is a great chef and a master spice blender. We talk about his love of his Tunisian grandfather's cooking, his journey from an Israeli kibbutz to the IDF, to some of the great kitchens in the world, and how cilantro magically turns into coriander. Lior, it's, it's fantastic to talk to you because on a lot of ways, you, um, I think about you on a regular basis. I think about you because you have taught me more about spice than anybody that I've ever worked with, both as a chef or in my career. You are, I, I would consider you one of the great spice geniuses in the, in the world. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering how an Israeli um, who uh, spent three years as a sergeant in the Israeli army um, went from uh, that part of your life to being a spice master? Um, it, it was a bit of a long journey. I mean, obviously, um, growing up in Israel and, and having to um, do the, um, the mandatory military service was in some ways, my first exposure to the culinary world and um, understanding that first and foremost, you got to feed the people uh, first because they physically need to eat. And also food is uh, a way to bring comfort and joy sometimes in, in situations where, you know, uh, people aren't in, in the best uh, environment, and uh, the military was definitely one of these occasions. So was and still is a great lesson for me to remember that uh, as cooks and chefs and whatnot, we have a responsibility to feed the people, a, to satisfy their physical need, but going beyond that, also we have the ability to bring joy and comfort into their lives. Uh, I later on cooked in some catering company in Israel, then moved to the Paul Bocuse Institute in Lyon, uh, and after five years in France, found my way to the kitchen of Daniel Boulou at restaurant Daniel. With time, I started developing this great passion and love for, for spices, and um, realized that there was a lot of, you know, a lot of lack of knowledge, uh, both on the home front and the restaurant front, of people who were using spices but had no idea what to do with them or weren't using spices because of uh, the fact that they were perceived as exotic and ethnic. And it started to become clearer every year to me that this might be the thing that I wanted and needed to do. Uh, and that's how I got to it in uh, 2006, 2007, of starting to think more seriously about uh, what is now called La Boite, and, and whatever it is that we do, is to really revive a conversation about 
spices globally and helping home cooks and professionals alike to use spices more and making good food through spices. So, but when you were growing up, what was your home life like in terms of food? So growing up wasn't a great experience in terms of food. Uh, I grew up in Israel in the 70s in a kibbutz uh, where the food was uh, far from being good. Um, However, um, I discovered at an early age that there was a great ethnic culinary scene in Israel. It was for many years at people's home or via street food. Uh, and that got me excited about exploring um, different types of foods and cuisines. Uh, not so much where I grew up in the kibbutz, but mainly outside of it in the nearest town or going to Tel Aviv and to people's homes. Um, for many years, Israel was not really known for its uh, culinary scene. Uh, as we all know, it is now one of the most influential areas in the world, I would say, in terms of food and cooking. 100%. Uh, Yeah. So it was always the case. There was always a lot of amazing dishes and food. I think that the big change came from a lot of young uh, professionals who applied the technique that they've learned abroad and, and the knowledge of aesthetics and the restaurant scene to the ingredients that were always around. So, but but uh, I ask all my 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 guests this question. You can define it how you want. But given all that, do you have a favorite childhood Jewish food memory? So I was again fortunate enough to have uh, a grandfather who was Tunisian, um, and I think my my best food memories growing up is going to visit his family in Jerusalem and exploring Tunisian food, uh, which was very different than what I ate on a daily basis, which was mainly Eastern European Ashkenazi food, and discovering dishes like kaila, which is this uh, beautiful stew of beans and, and spinach with some meat, and the frikasse and harissa and all of these things uh, were and still are some of my best childhood food memories. And what was your home life like in terms of being Jewish? I, I, I also ask people if they had a Jewish aha moment, and it's always challenging when I talk to my Israeli guests um, because obviously being Jewish in Israel is very different than being Jewish anywhere else in the world. So yeah, I, I grew up in a kibbutz, which is a very secular environment. So, um, you know, Judaism is taken for granted. You were born to a Jewish mother, you live in Israel, you don't really think about it. I'd say that what is still very dear to me from that and, and, and on and on is really the, the holidays and, and celebrating these holidays and some of the dishes that go with it and the, the seasons of the year. Um, so those are the nice memories. There isn't a particular dish uh, or something like that, but it's really having matzo balls just for Passover and not year-round, and having hamantaschen just for Purim, and again, not year-round, which now seems to be the case, and, and on and on and on. So there's really this um, celebrating each holiday and at each occasion with particular dishes, and I think that to me is, is one of my fondest memories. 
Now, you, you live in New York and, and you have children. So in terms of their, your Jewish home life today, is, what is it like today? So it is definitely challenging, you know, um, not living in Israel and having to think about what is Judaism and what is the food and the culture and everything that goes around it. Um, since you, you, I think you got to work really harder here in the U.S. to maintain this identity. Uh, I try to do it with them uh, and celebrating the holidays at home. Uh, one of them is still in um, some sort of a Jewish school environment. So he still learns about the holidays. And um, yeah, we try to do it in our home with my wife and two kids to um, make sure that we celebrate these occasions and talk about what they mean and, and so on. So when you started in, uh, the company in 2006, and you started bringing, frankly, lots of different spices from different parts of the world. And we'll, we'll get to the blending part because that to me is one of the most fascinating things that you do. But when you were doing that, as, as you referenced earlier, a lot of these spices were, you know, in specific cuisines. A, lo a lot of these cuisines were not at the forefront. And certainly, you know, Israeli chefs and Israeli restaurants were not the cause celeb that they are today around the country. I live in Los Angeles. There's, you know, fantastic, uh, and a fantastic is a Middle Eastern restaurant. There's several in New York, uh, many world-class restaurants, as you referenced in Israel. But in 2006, you were at the beginning of all this. Um, yeah, I think that there was just the beginning of finally accepting ethnic food as a thing, uh, whether it was Israeli, Korean, um, and, and so on and so forth, and Malaysian. Um, so there's definitely a great movement that helped me and others uh, to go forward. Um, it was challenging, you know, to get this conversation going, uh, but it was also very exciting at the same end because there wasn't much happening. So, so you and you're having a great influence on chefs. So, I, I'm in terms of the blending part because you know you don't just sell spices. What what I think is brilliant about what you're doing is you're blending spices and then oftentimes blending spices that intellectually don't make sense. But when you taste <laughs> them, no, no, and, and I, and I said, Leo, when we began, sometimes when I grab, you know, um, mishmash or I grab some of the, you know, I have about a dozen of your, uh, blended spices in my spice drawer. Um, when I, when I, when I grab them, part of me feels a little guilty, right? Like I, you know, I should be putting these spices together myself, but I have this guy in New York. I could, you know, I could tell people, you know, I have a guy and he blends these spices and I buy the spices. But in so often, so many of the cases of the blending are, are blends that I would not intellectually put together in my head, sesame seeds, anise, and caraway. I mean, so how do you, um, how do you think about these things and how do you develop the blends? So the idea at the beginning was not to sell single spices because there were and there still are a lot of great purveyors of just single spices. So I didn't feel that we could bring something interesting to the conversation. Although we do now sell single spices out of request of our clients. 
Um, the idea behind the blend is very easy. Um, I wanted to make a combination of different spices that I thought made sense and show um, cooks that this blend could work today on a fish and tomorrow on meat and then uh, in a few days on a dessert and maybe even a cocktail, uh, saying that this is just a blend of spices. It doesn't uh, have a particular dish or recipe that it's good for. It's good for many, many things. And it is a tool that I want to give to the cook uh, that's going to use it to express themselves on either new dishes that they want to explore, but before even going there, applying it on things that they cook on a daily basis. They just want to make them a little bit different each time and make them more exciting. And I think that using single spices, although great, is challenging for a lot of people who don't have the time, don't have the knowledge. They do understand what it takes to make a blend, but um, they just don't want to deal with it the same way that you do not necessarily make want to make your own butter or, or, or bread at home and whatnot, and you want to go to a professional that can supply you with these things. And I think that um, it's one of the nice things that we see in the last 10 or so years, both restaurants and home cooks. People want to understand the rationale behind it, but they don't necessarily need to make it. They want to go to a professional that can supply them with that. Okay, and I get that. And, you know, and, and obviously you can grab a jar of herbs de Provence and you can get the, you get these herbs that you, you know, that you are used to seeing them together, but like paprika, cayenne, and oregano, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I think I have some ability. Um, most of the people that have eaten my food think I have some ability. I, I can't, and you know, I never woke up in the middle of the night and thought, you know, I'm going to put oregano, cayenne, and paprika together and it's going to taste good. So I'm, your process I'm curious about how you how you get to that place. So I I apply um, a lot of what I've done and still do in the cooking world, which is creating a dish. So if you look at it that way, and you ask a chef um, what led them to create a particular dish, um, to me it's the same thing. It could be an ingredient that I'm just fascinated with, and then. I'm trying to figure out a way to highlight it or to bring other garnishes or sides or sauces. To me, these are the spices. So it could be uh, a certain dish that I've eaten and I want to translate into uh, a powder or a spice blend. It could be uh, a place or a type of cuisine that I'm very interested in. What I did and still do is educate myself in terms of What's the flavor profile of each spice? How does it smell? How does it taste? How does it interact with others? And that is how I approach uh, making a new blend is first deciding what the concept is. What flavor, scents, textures do I want to deliver? And then I start grabbing the ingredients to do so the same way that uh, for years I was creating dishes in restaurants. It makes sense. Although, like I said, oftentimes I'm, I, I just, you, you, you blow my mind oftentimes with some of these combinations and they taste and, and they are extraordinary. I mean, they really, everything, Thank I think you. I probably, I don't know you, I don't know how many spice blends you have. If you have like 
fifty or something like that, right? Maybe more than oh, that. <laughs> I three hundred. Yeah, I mean, I like, uh, and I do things with them. Like, I do, I, I put them on things that I would never even imagine, um, and and people, and and I feel guilty when I'm cooking for people. Because, like I said, it's a little bit of a cheat because I'm, you know, you're doing some of my brain work for me. And I know you're doing brain work for Eric Repair, too. So it doesn't make me feel so bad. Well, and I think, you know, it's it's cheating in a very good way. Um, you are a good cook and there's many other great cooks out there that, you know, you understand what goes into it. You understand the process. You know the ingredients. But... um you want to leave it to somebody to do the work. You can focus on getting creative in your kitchen by taking that blend and adding it to proteins and produce and ingredients to make something different each time. So, um, so it's the same thing. It's, it's, uh, it's like aging meat, which you could probably do, but who wants to bother aging meat at their home where you could just find a butcher that you like and say, hey, I'm going to get that piece of, of, of steak or whatever it is that he aged beautifully or the cheese and whatnot, and now I can take it and make it my own by creating a new preparation. And there's always these, I think, these great conversations about cooking as, as a craft, cooking as an art. It, it's, it appears to me that you are leaning in the art direction. And in fact, uh, we're only talking about spices. You sell um, French biscuits too, and, and the tins are, are the works of great artists. And if you go to the store, um, you, you see some of these artists. So uh, my guess is you, if I was going to ask you, are you a craftsman or an artist, you, you lean towards the artistic. Would that be correct, Lior? I think it's both because there is the craft and the, the, the actual profession of blending or baking but um, we try to go beyond that and, and be, you know, creative or, or artistic about it, saying, okay, let's use our, you know, mechanical or craftsmanship and, and what else, what other layers can we bring into it? And I think that that's what makes La Boite a bit different from other spice companies is that we we look around, we get inspired by cooking, baking, cocktails, and whatnot, and apply it to our um, everyday life. And you, and you also translate this thinking to cookbooks, right? You have you have written Absolutely. a couple yeah. cookbooks, and um, so when you're traveling around the world, you were recently in Los Angeles, and you're traveling around. Um, do you have restaurants that that you're inspired by? Where where are the restaurants you're eating these days in New York or wherever else? Uh, oh, I like. Uh, restaurants a lot and, and, you know, wine bars and bread bakers. And so I try wherever I go domestically or outside of the U.S. to kind of get the pulse of what's happening. And, and by that, I'm, it's not just about what's new. It sometimes could be a very old establishment that's been there forever. Um, so I learned a lot of these things uh, wherever I go Um and, and explore the little things. Um, I was, as you mentioned, in LA recently, uh, did not have a lot of time to uh, explore and go out, but, um, you know, was able to visit uh, just a book ser- a bookstore called Now Serving. I love that place. Uh, and it was great. I spent, a, you know, maybe 35, 40 minutes and, and uh, 
made me very happy to know that there's still a future for bookstores where, you know, cookbooks are celebrated and, and little objects. And there's actually a person that could talk to you about what's at the store. It's beautifully curated. Uh, so to me, it's as a great of an experience of going to um, a fantastic restaurant, which I enjoy equally. Um, so both are fantastic. I, I went back to visit my friends at uh, the exchange at the Freehand Hotel. I went to Opium, to uh, Team Hollingsworth restaurant. So, you know, there's just never enough time but I try to make the most of it and, and explore as much as I can. Yeah, no, I I, I buy lots of cookbooks. I, I, I read them for pleasure. I, I, I have a hard time following recipes intellectually, so I just basically steal whatever I'm reading, and then the next thing you know, I've, I've made something somewhat similar, and um, cookbooks are just tr- treasures, and I, I, I treasure the cookbooks that I have. I'm going to shift direction a little bit because... Um, there are two other subjects I, I talk about on the podcast, back to the Jewish part, but also about spirituality. So I ask Lior, all of my guests, if they could ask God one question, what would the one question you'd ask God be? Uh, oh, I should have probably prepared for that, but I didn't know, so I didn't prepare for that. Um, what would I ask him? Um I don't know that I have a question. I mean, I think I take things as they are, um, and and I don't try to analyze too much because I think for me it gets me caught up in in too many things. So I don't really have, you know, if I could just get uh, his cell number for question, that would be the question. <laughs> well, I I I I had recently a podcast um, with a very successful uh, therapist. And she didn't want to ask one question. She just wanted to get God on the couch. And um, ah. and then I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know we have a mutual friend uh, in New York, Inat Admoni. And Inat actually asked the question, answered the question faster than anyone else answered the question. And when I asked her what she'd ask God, she immediately said, why am I so short? <laughs> yeah. I guess, no, I don't really have, I, I, you know, to the extent of that therapist, I could uh, elaborate and say of asking when he can come over for dinner. Right. Okay. Yeah. And what would you, what would it be, what would you serve God for dinner? Uh, I don't know. It depends on when he's coming and what's the season. Uh, I don't plan ahead too much. Uh, so I don't know what will be for dinner, but just having him over would be nice. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, uh, okay, so my last of my four questions, not the end of the conversation, but my last of my four questions is really more connected to your children. So you're an Israeli who now lives in New York, and, um, and, and we're living in a very complicated Jewish world right now. And I always ask my guests, again, uh, in a way, how to do my job better, the, my current job. And my current job is... Uh, to look at the greatest challenges facing the Jewish people and try to figure out what the solutions are. So if you were in my job now, not making, not blending spices, but you were trying to figure out what the great challenge is that we're facing, what do you think the Jewish community's greatest challenge is today, Lior? Uh, globally, I would, I would take it. We're not talking just about Israel. 
It's any way you want to take it. The truth is, in the world we're in right now, there's lots of challenges all over the world. Some are the same and some are quite different. Yeah, I think that it's about still, you know, explaining or showcasing um, who we are and what we believe in that I think is often misunderstood by many. Um, I think it's also understanding the connection between Israel as the, the, the home of, of Jews and, and Jewish people who are living outside of it and strengthening that connection, uh, which I think is one of, of the bigger challenges and, and about showcasing the, the amazing and beautiful things that, you know, that this religion and this community, which I guess this is where part of the challenge lies is that it goes beyond just a religion. It, it's a community. It's, it's a way of living. Um, and, and, and Judaism is, you know, it's obviously a religion, but I think that if we can highlight some of the, the beauty of, of the community aspect and, and the way of living, um, things might be better just first and foremost for us as Jews amongst ourselves which there's a big uh, disconnect between a lot of, of, of the different approaches within Judaism. So if we aren't aligned uh, between ourselves, how can we, you know, work with others? And I think that's part of the big challenge that I see is bridging the different organizations and different, you know, uh, synagogues and beliefs and approaches. That, that's part of my uh, struggle. Yeah, no, I understand. Look, the, 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 on the one hand, we're living in a global world goes directly to the work that you do every day in terms of the spice blending. In a way, we've we come to a place as a Jewish world and as a world in general where we can actually blend people and spices and ideas in ways we could never imagine. And at the same time, there's all this divisiveness and polarization and they, and it seems a little counterintuitive, right? Um, and it's it's it, we have to figure out a way to to speak a common language. One of the reasons I um, talk so much about food, and I've I've had the only person I've ever, I've done two podcasts with is David Broza. Do you know David at all? Yeah, I think he's currently in LA, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think he's. I know. Don't tell me that because I, I I forgot to that I was I should go see him in concert. So David and I are are friends, and 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 I said to him at one time, you know, to me the reason I talk about food today is different than the way I talked about food when I started cooking and when I started working in food television and restaurants. Today I talk about it because we need a, a, a place to sit to share ideas, to look each other in the eye and feel some sense of community and commonality. And there is no greater place to do that than at a, ta than at a table eating a, a lovely dinner. And uh, David said at the time, you know, that even as a musician and everything else, he gets his greatest pleasure cooking for l large groups of people. And I, 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 sure. I, re I really believe we're at that moment where in a way chefs and people in the food world can bring us together in a way that, that we can, because food is such a visual, such a, you know, a, a comforting experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. It goes again uh, to what we said earlier in the conversation that as cooks and chefs and however you want to call it, um, we now have a much bigger opportunity and responsibility at the same time to lead uh, different um, conversations that go beyond just another dish and another plate. It's uh, dealing with with economy and religion and welfare and community, um, all of that uh, using our amazing power, which is food. And if you want to get somebody's attention, I think that there's no better way than to, you know, bring them to the table, serve them some food um, and something to drink. And and then you could talk eye to eye and, and have a meaningful conversation with whatever indifferences they are and, whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter, but it, it's that one place that you can, you know, have a conversation. I agree. So, all right, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. I'm curious, if I walked into your kitchen right now, what would I find in your refrigerator and what would I find in your cupboard? Uh, so, as, as a father to two young kids, uh, there's and, and very different menus. There's always a diversity of, of different things, but the, the, the staples would be a lot of fruits and vegetables on an ongoing basis. Um, there's always labne, which is a big staple item in our house uh, that's used for many things. Um, challah bread and olive oil and hummus and things like that. Those will always be there. And pantry-wise, well, obviously, a ton of spices and, and olive oils and vinegars and condiments. Those are the things that I always have handy. Um, always with the idea that perhaps, you know, within 10 to 20 minutes, you got to figure out some dinner or some food for a large group of people. Um, it's kind of that Middle Eastern hospitality approach that you should always be ready in case somebody shows up. And, and God forbid that there's nothing to serve them. So uh, okay. that's what he would look at and at I, our house. And I, I don't normally do this on my podcast, but I, I believe that if people go to your website and uh, buy spices, it could change their life. So I'm encouraging people who listen to my podcast to go to your website and try some of these extraordinary spice blends because I do believe Thank it's... It's not just that it'll help you cook. I think it'll make you a better cook, but also it'll change your life in the way that you understand flavor and taste. I end, Lior, my podcast with a like a little either or, a little lightning round of questions. Okay? Here, okay. here we go. Jerusalem or Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv. Smoked paprika or smoked cinnamon? Smoked cinnamon. Ah, okay. I'm going to, my favorite, um, if I had to pick one favorite um, herb spice, it's oregano. So I'm going to say oregano or cilantro? Cilantro. Oh, so all right. Well, just curious because I, I just told you I love oregano. So tell me why cilantro? Uh, I love them both. I just use way more cilantro than I use oregano. There's something about the flavor that if I had to pick one over the other, uh, I'd probably go with that. Plus, um, cilantro, if you let it grow longer, you'll be, you'll get coriander seeds. So 
it's kind of a two-in-one combination. There you go. All right, I end my podcast with the same question for every guest. Here it is. Rugula or babka? Uh, Rugula. All right. Lua, it's a, a real pleasure. I, I have to say that I've only bought your spices online. I haven't been into the store, but um, and I'm sorry I missed you when you were just here, but I'm going to make it a point when I'm in uh, New York in the next uh, month to, to come into the store, and hopefully I'll get to see you. As we, as we talked about offline, I met you when you worked in the kitchen at Danielle. I'd love to sit down with you and uh, have a cup of coffee when I come to New York next time. That would be my great pleasure to see you there. Okay, Lior. Be well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank and to you. you. Stay tuned for future episodes of Jay's Four Questions to hear the most inspiring and surprising conversations with today's incredible Jewish thought leaders. Jay's Four Questions is a co-production of the Jewish Federation of Greater Los Angeles and Lira Productions.